what's going on? It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here. Trance, of course, a Canucks insider who also covers the team for the Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, this is the kind of uh, professional attitude you get when the Canucks are playing the San Jose Sharks because we were deep in conversation with Canberra. Haggling over our Christmas holiday. Holiday scheduling concerns. And then I realized, wait, I think that's the intro music playing to our show right now. Today is a no-lose proposition. Okay. That's not true. Uh, I Yep, yeah, no. Today is a no-lose proposition. If you're a Canucks fan, a diehard has been with the team for decades, Canucks mm-hmm, fan. Mm-hmm. You have a sense of humor. It's not possible to be a Canucks fan and not have a sense of humor. Uh-huh. Not possible. Natural coping mechanism. You have a sense of humor unless a uh, Eastern-based media outlet has ranked Quinn Hughes too low in their player rankings. No, and even then you have a sense of humor. You're dunking on them. and That's true. I mean, I, I, I don't know. If you go check those replies to like some of my good friends and colleagues... There's some absolute hilarious dunks in there. I'm sorry, like there's there's great ones. You gotta recognize. You gotta recognize when it happens. I I, I occasionally take a fair bit of um criticism. Yep. And and I wouldn't say all of it, but like a fairly hefty portion of it is hilarious. Like really funny. It does make a difference. Cause even somebody uh on Halloween, somebody texted in I thought you guys might come in costume today as professional radio hosts. <laughs> and I sent them an LOL back. And yeah, I was that's like, that's great. funny. I'm not going to pretend that's not funny. It's super funny. I posted a photo of me swimming with a, my dog once, and someone said on Twitter, be careful, that seal's trying to eat your dog. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. So, anyway, if you're a fan of the Canucks, you're overwhelmingly likely to enjoy a Canucks win tonight. And if you're a fan of the Canucks and you have a sense of humor, then you're overwhelmingly likely to at least enjoy laughing at a Canucks loss tonight. Either way, you win. There, zero, zero stakes for Canucks fans. They win either way. So there is, I mean, yeah, the, the Sharks haven't won a game yet, right? And I do feel like it is kind of, there's a knee-jerk Canucks fan, hardcore Canucks fan thing to be like, oh, of course it'll be the Canucks that give them their first win of the year. I don't know who drafted the Canu- this Canucks game, by the way, in our- uh, Oh, I did. Oh, you did? Okay, oh, yeah. there you go. Um, I think I have the next ones after this coming up. And I understand that. I understand that that reaction, as you said, like well-earned for through decades of Canucks fandom. The Sharks are truly terrible. This is not like your run-of-the-mill bad team. And it's like, oh, of course, the Canucks are going to play down to their competition. I'm not, and I'm not sitting here guaranteeing a win or anything like that. But like, this is a completely different level than a normal pad team. The Sharks have been the Sharks only have nine goals, yeah, in nine games this season. Like the the Canucks had eight in game one. The Sharks are at nine right now through nine games. Well, and they're not particularly unlucky. You know, I mean, it's one thing to have nine goals if you're sh- you know like the the Flames are sh- are shooting. Actually, I'm wrong. The Can- they're only shooting 3.4%. But their goaltending's been fine. Yeah. On balance, they, they're they not, like, the least lucky team in the NHL. Like, 
to some extent their fair value for this. And the fact that they're shooting such a low percentage might be reflective of the fact that they have like four credible NHL guys. Like, you know, and one of them is Kyle Burroughs. Kyle Burroughs, according to uh, Daily Faceoff anyway, in their line combinations, they have him as the uh, power play quarterback on the first power play unit. Yeah. Good for Kyle Burroughs. Great for Kyle Burroughs. Not good for the San Jose Sharks good as for an the NHL San Jose team. Sharks. Uh, the four top four defensemen on the team in terms of five-on-five five ice time, Mario Ferraro, Kyle Burroughs, again. I like for Mario him. Ferraro, by the way. Jan Ruda. And Matthew Benning, who's injured right now, so he's not going to be in the game. Ouch. But that's that's not an NHL top four. No. It's not. It's not close to an NHL top four. There, there's, uh, there's like, three guys that I think uh, – like, three guys in that top four I think you're totally happy with as your sixth defenseman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Kyle Burrows, hey, useful piece on an NHL team. When he starts being among your, le- your leaders in minutes, that's a major problem. Yeah, Kyle Burrows is a good player, man. But I agree. I'm not trying to cut him down. Like, yeah. local guy played well for the Canucks here. Absolutely. It's just yeah. his place in the lineup we, tells you a lot I, about this Sharks team. I just, you know, I feel the need to have Burroughs' back like he had the back of every one of his sure. teammates ever, despite being that. like I 190 pounds. Loved, I, loved, I loved the ill intent with which that guy played at his size. It was so sick. It was awesome to see him get the contract in San Jose, too. Oh, yeah. Years. That's fantastic. Good for him and his family. But, you know, you look at this Sharks game and – I think this is just can an we absolutely... Just, can we just do more of the same about Kyle Burroughs? Rip, I was just going to say ripping how, how no, bad I the just, Sharks are. Kyle Burroughs just rocks. I started digging into it today, like this morning prepping for the show, and it's like, it's the kind of thing where you can't believe your eyes. Oh, it's grim. It. It's just like, no, they're bad. there's not a single bright spot. No. Nobody has more than two goals. You know what I mean? It's not like anyone's even like got a few lucky bounces and is off to a kind of good start. Like It's just no, it's completely dismal uh, every well, step of the way. No one can handle toughs. No one can handle secondary matchups. No one can handle auxiliary matchups. It's just like, uh, you know, um, Macklin Celebrini, at least, was a former San Jose <sighs> Junior there Shark. Go. There you go. That's the only bright spot. And and I guess the other one is, was there any way forward for the Sharks team that didn't include a stint like this? That didn't include massive, massive pain. And Probably I w- not. And I would argue no. Like, this was inevitable. The only, the only downside to this is that they did the hurdle deal. Yeah. Like, when... when this was so clearly what was coming. Where it was going. They still did the hurdle deal, and and that's like the only, that's the only real problem with it. Um, I I hope they get him free too. Like, hurdle's a real NHL player. He deserves. Oh, he's a good this. NHL player. Yeah, yeah, he's more of a real NHL player for sure. Uh, yeah, t- he's like a real top of the lineup yeah. NHL player. Uh, it, he he stands out so much looking at the lineup for the oh. Sharks right now. Well, and, and wait till you see it tonight, right? It's just like at least when they had Carlson Meyer hurdle like we saw it last year right the sharks were like one of those like epl minnows Mm -hmm. that could hang for 55 minutes of a hockey game the equivalent of like 85 minutes of a soccer game and then things went badly for them Mm -hmm. and now they're like when one of those teams that shouldn't get get promoted from the efl or from the championship like you know the the wins in the play-in like like and it's historically bad. Like Hull City a few years ago. I don't know. You're probably not a big enough soccer sick, fan to get that reference. reference but sick reference. Like something like that, where it's just like, oh no, oh no. Uh, like Kool Aid Man levels of bad. We've got our uh, requisite uh, Doomer uh, Canucks tw- text in here, guys. We know the Canucks are going to lose tonight, right? It's not going to matter how they play. San Jose's goalie is going to stand on their head. We'll be lucky <laughs> to get a goal. I'm guessing two nothing sharks with the Canucks having an <laughs> See, expected goals of four plus on the night. The problem with that is that the San Jose Sharks goalie doesn't know to stand on his skates. 
He's going to stand on his head because wow. that's how he plays goal. Wow. I don't even know who it is. Uh, it's uh, Capo Kakinen, right? Oh, okay. I don't know who he's playing tonight, but it's the, the tandem is Capo Kakinen and Mackenzie Blackwood. Both with identical 907. Woof. 907 safe They've actually been fine. So they, like, that's they, they the, haven't been that the problem. That hasn't been the problem. It's oh. been everything that's going on in front of them. You know who's good? Jacob McDonald's pretty good. There you go. Jacob McDonald's a good little player. One of your guys. It definitely, Jacob McDonald is 100% one of my guys. Uh, and this text comes in from Torgi. He says, I'm usually worried about how these games, but... Uh, I think it worked out well how Tockett critiqued the win the other day and benched Miller. They should come out with a good show. That's showing. what you think, too. I'd hope. That's what I think as well. Yeah. I think it was – now, I think it's set up perfectly to avoid this being a trap game because now they're saying internally, or you hope at least, the feeling internally is, hey, we won that Nashville game, but we heard what the coach had to say. We can see it, too. We need to get back to what we were doing before that. We need to get back to building our identity. And the good thing about it is, like, the, op- the take I'm – having here and like the, I think it's an optimistic one is it's kind of the perfect setup for this game because it goes from being a trap game to the ideal situation to get back to what you were doing well the ideal situation to get back to building your identity and I know here's the thing but right? of course that doesn't guarantee you two points no it doesn't guarantee you two points so you're you're saying a good performance is assured well I'm not, not saying assured win. I'm saying it sets up well I think I think that dynamic undercuts a lot of the, oh, it'd be so Canucks to lose against this team concerns, yeah. right? You know what I mean? Or to lay an egg against at, this team. At some point, this team will lose a game that they have no business losing. Yep. You know, like, that's that's going to happen. That happens to every NHL team every season. You get some howlers. Like, every year we see, you know, like the, the Coyotes of a few years ago, like, beat the Leafs or beat the Bruins mm-hmm. or, I mean, go through, like, the Boston Bruins historic season and you'll still find, like, a, a crooked result that makes zero sense. Like, you know, anything can happen in one game. We all know this, you know? So, but, like, the Canucks are going to get their chances. They're going to dominate play. The Sharks, Sharks are not going to generate a ton against them. And it's just going to come down to, you know, like – do the Canucks avoid the inevitable like eight five alarm scoring chances get stoned by Blackwood yep. or Kakinen, uh, and you know a laugher gets in off a skate and and something else hockey happens like but that's it you and could it, you could lose this game and it won't matter really to me anyway the um what will matter to me is if the Canucks come out and don't play well. Yeah, because I think here's the thing, right? And I think sometimes people tend to downplay wins against bad teams, which is fair, but not every win is created equal, no. right? You can dominate a bad team and still be really, really impressive, and no one's going to look at it as a, a litmus test or, you know, is this a measuring stick game like you'll hear when you're going up against a, a team at the, stop, at the top of the standings. But I think the job for the Canucks is clear. It's dominate, right? It's go in and crush this team from a process standpoint. Leave no doubt about the golf and talent between these two teams. And I would I would compare it. Now, I don't think the Blues are nearly as bad as the Sharks, but I want it to look something like it did against the Blues, right? I'm not a big believer in the Blues, even though, again, a lot more talented than the Sharks. And you can wave that, that game away by saying the Blues are a bad team, but the Canucks still absolutely crushed them in that game, right? So that's the type of performance that you can look at even against a bad team and still come away and say, like, okay, the Canucks showed me something like in the that Blues. game. Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, that's what they did against the Blues. So Man. go out and do something like that against the Sharks tonight. The Blues looked hopeless last night, by the way. I don't know how much hockey you watched. The Blues... But they looked hopeless. Yeah. But that's what I mean. Like, and that's the Blues might be really, really bad. That to me, that doesn't 
discount what the Canucks were able to do against them. Like, that's what a good team should be able to do against a really bad team, and the Canucks did it. And that's yeah. what I'm looking for tonight. You know what I mean? Prove that you are just not in – like, that the Sharks shouldn't be in your league and that you're way better than them and go out and dominate. Them. I also had an absolute blast watching Ducks-Coyotes, by the way. I, so I didn't get a chance to see it, but yeah. I've heard people say that it was super uh, fun, a, a very, very fun now, one. Now, I watched the first bit, and then I went to watch some second half of NBA game stuff, um, you know, mostly because of my wagering, and then – and then came back for overtime. McTavish, man. Mason McTavish is real, mm-hmm. real, real good. Mm-hmm. Real, real good. Anyway, the Blues were horrendous. I, I, I wonder if that's the second worst team in the West now. I'm, like, getting there where I wouldn't have guessed that before the season, but Chicago is not good, but they're kind of plucky. They're at least positionally sound, and then Bedard's going to do something amazing every now and then. Yeah. Um, Anaheim's outright good. Like, Anaheim, to me, is... Well, I don't know about that. Good. Like, plucky, maybe. Outright good. But their underlying numbers are softer even than the Canucks. Like, way softer than the Canucks so far. Not way softer. Mm. They're not. They're bottom of the league in terms of shot attempt share. They're close to bottom of the league right now, the Ducks. But that's because they've been leading against, like, that's so soared by the fact that they led against the Penguins all night. You know what I mean? Like that's one game. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not well. I'm not willing to put them in the good category. Oh, I think just they're. Yet. I, th- I mean, I like, do you think they're gonna? Do you think they're gonna challenge for a playoff spot? I, I think, yeah, I think they're gonna be in the mix. I do. I, I'm not there yet. I think, I think they're. At, put it this way: I at least think they're. Like, I don't think they're gonna challenge the Canucks for a playoff spot. I think the Canucks are materially better. Mm-hmm. But I do think they have a shot of like finishing ahead of Calgary and and you know pushing well, Seattle. Yeah, okay. But those yeah. but those teams might be might finish out of the playoff mix too. Oh, yeah. You know I what mean, I mean? I'm, I mean for sure. Um but I'm just saying, I think they're I think they're I think they're good. And um and then Arizona I think is good too. <laughs> I like those teams, man. They're yeah, fun to watch. They, they can be fun to watch without being good. You know what I mean? Well, the, the bar for good is an interesting one. That I mean that's a it's all ultimately a semantic like, discussion. Like do you think Nashville's good? No, I don't think Nashville is good. I see. I think, I think Nashville might be fine. I think, but I, I don't think, think they're good. I think the good tier for me, anyway, is like in the West: Vancouver's, Nashville, Seattle, and Vancouver's okay. probably the head of that class right now. Okay, but like that to me is good, and like Anaheim's within shouting distance of those. See, teams. I would have. I think for me, if I'm saying a team is good, it's like they're comfortably in the top half of the league. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking Rangers. It's all, yeah. Exactly. Like, oh, that's a good who, team. Who this market or like got way Tampa, ahead of the Tampa's a good team. Dallas is a good team. Now you can be better than that in that tier, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So the so the like not quite a contender. Yeah. Like seven to twelve tier is what you call it good. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Because there was a lot of like histrionic. Like the Rangers are a bona fide contender, and there'll be more of that when the Canucks play Dallas. And it's like, no, they ain't. Rangers are good. Yeah, they're good. We agree. <laughs> and, um, and you're right. They're good materially in a different way than the Ducks. They're, and the they're, no, exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah, like, okay. The Rangers are a good team. The I Ducks accept. might be a fun team. They might be a plucky team, but plucky, they're not a good yeah. team. Annoying. You know what I up mean? Up and coming. Yeah. I, well, look, put it this way. I'm really interested to see what they look like in 10 games. Like, That's I, fair. I think there's a shot that they... I think there's a shot that they can be one of those teams that's like a totally different animal 35 games into the season. I'm not going to pick them to make the playoffs or anything, but I'm definitely watching. They they have my attention. 
Not my curiosity. Not your curiosity yet, yet. But they have no. my attention. They haven't, they haven't passed quite the full passed. Leo test. Yet. Well, they, they, until Leo Carlson's an everyday player, they can't pass <laughs> the Leo test. Uh, Muskoka Mike texts in about the Canucks and the Sharks tonight. I think this is a good uh, take from Muskoka Mike, who also has a great handle, by the way. Uh, he says, maybe an opportunity for the bottom six to gain some confidence. And I think that's a good one because, yeah, obviously just in general, you want to see a full team effort and you want to see the team really control play against a bad what? opponent. Do you, I, you don't think the bottom six has confidence? I, do you think so right now? Um, I mean, I mean, I don't. Anthony Bovillia had a two-point game. Anything can happen. He doesn't have a goal yet. Yeah, but. Pew Suter doesn't have a goal yet. Pew Suter hasn't been on the ice for a goal yet. Connor Garland hasn't scored in a while. Yeah. He's only been on the ice for three goals, four. How's that possible? I would look at it as maybe you don't want to frame it as confidence, but build some momentum, right? Like have a game where you're in the other team's zone and generating chances consistently. I would extend that. It's actually impressive how few points some of these guys have, given that they're they're like PDOs or 107 you know, one, like they're they're overheated, and given that the Canucks have scored like four goals a game this year, man, and yet you look at the bottom six, and there's a lot of guys where you're like, ooh, that's not a great rate, right? And I think from that yeah. perspective, like this is a chance for hey, get Connor Garland a goal, get Beauvillier that goal, right? Like th- that's what I'm <laughs> talking about here. Whether they're playing with confidence or not, they're, you would love to see the production come in a way it hasn't so, so far. So this is one thing I just like to quickly do this before the end of the segment. It's it's so funny because the Canucks have played well. And if this was a team that was like four, four and one or five, three and one, you know, and their goal differential was like plus three or whatever, I'd probably my my take would probably be like, hey, like there's there's actually a lot to like here. Mm -hmm. But this team's results are elite through nine games and their form just does not match that. And like every indicator that I ever look at that I use to like gut check my perception is like, oh, boy, watch out on that guy. That guy's. Everyone probably thinks they're great, but they're in for some bounces against them, right? Like, the reality will show itself here. Like, you know, Phil DiGiuseppe, 110 PDO. Like, I've been holding – I've been on DiGiuseppe Island for a long time, but, man, you know, we don't know know what that's going to look like, how that's going to shake out. Uh, Sam Lafferty, 108. Like, man, there's so many Canucks that are just so overheated. And, of course, they're killing it. And, and looking like these great pickups, but it's so hard to see this team clearly in, in terms of those individual contributors or the impression because so much is going this team's way. And it's going this team's way in such a – like at such a magnitude mm-hmm. that, that I actually find it really hard to ferret out wh- what this team is right now. Like it, it, I, I think they're good. I've seen enough substance that I'm that I think they're good, but man – the way that this team is running downhill is getting wild. They actually I, lost 10 points of PDO in that Nashville game. Combined save percentage and shooting percentage against Na- Nashville, but it didn't matter because they got all those four on four goals. I'm just really curious to see what it looks like as the sample expands and the bounces begin to level out. Well, and I heard your hit on uh, Halfram Bruff this morning, and you mentioned, you know, they've kind of played four and a half really impressive games and four and a half pretty concerning games and there hasn't, totally. necessarily, there hasn't necessarily been a lot in the middle right no. and the, i think that's a fair point hope, that we're kind of waiting to see maybe like, we get an average performance tonight <laughs> but average should still be like you're comfortably playing way better than the sharks well, you right. know what i mean <laughs> yeah. it should be oh it definitely should be there, there like there might be some khl teams that would be more imposing i'm not kidding that's tough uh, that's probably not right. It's probably it's, not fair. But it, but it's not far off. Um, 
Yeah, man, I'm just trying to wrap my head around that right now. But there, there definitely would have been like before the war. Now, yeah. now I think it's Where probably been different. Some, uh, yeah. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, and uh, somebody else texted in, Canucks are going to be the obviously better team tonight, probably dominate the entire game. We just have 50 years of knowing bounces are going to be hilariously <laughs> against the Canucks tonight, so they lose. Somebody else somebody else texts in, uh, another option for tonight is a comical level of lucky bounces for the Sharks, and they win 6-5. Uh, and somebody else says tonight is like uh, tonight's game is like Canada versus Norway in the world. Hopefully Matt Zuccarello doesn't win it for them. <laughs> like it'd be like Hurdle playing the Matt Zuccarello role here. Uh, Christers Gudlevskis giving uh, giving the entire nation of Canada like what an a absolute heart stopping. Yeah. Well, you remember that game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can even tell you about the Ted Nolan set play to spring Mix Andrasis for. Uh, for the brief go-ahead goal. You don't remember this? Fantastic. No, I remember it, but I'm not going to pull the players' names. That's like in one ear and out the other, man. I don't I don't, I don't, don't store that in my mind long-term. That was like an all-time great set. Like, talk to NHL coaches. They'll still bring that one up. That was like an all-time great um, counter set. I love that from Latvia. Anyway. Um, it didn't at the time, though. By the way, uh, it was a an optional skate for the Canucks uh, down in San Jose per our own Dan Murphy. So no early look at lines or anything uh, like that. I know he said Elias Pettersson made a brief appearance, talked to trainers, and then left the ice. We don't know exactly what his status is, although I don't know we've been given too much reason to uh, to doubt his availability tonight. But uh, that's an update from, uh, from Morning Skate down in San Jose, per our own Dan Murphy, who's down there. And just one last thing before we go, just yep. to the the brief explainer: PDO combined save percentage and shooting percentage. Uh, and it's uh, Ronnie, the um, three-time soapbox derby champion, uh, texts in and asks, "What does Drance think of PDO as a measuring tool for the whole team versus individuals?" And like, I want to be clear: it's not evaluative at all. I just use it as a gut check. Unlike if everyone's like absolutely praising a dude, mm-hmm. I always check. And it's like, oh, yeah, their PDO's at 110 over the last two weeks. And vice versa, when a guy's getting carved in this market, 940 you know what I mean? it's, yeah. or 94. It's just like it's just a quick way to check. Does my perception, my emotional experience watching the game match their actual form or not? That's it. That's all it is. I love the power that the textures have to get us to read whatever handle they choose to sign their text with. Well, Ronnie, especially when it's really good. Three-time soapbox derby champion Ronnie. I love. I love. I can just picture his whole life. He's been trying to get people to call him to refer to him as a soapbox derby champion, and finally he gets his moment here. Like, uh, like when you go to summer camp, like yeah, no, at my school everyone calls me Coyote. <laughs> <laughs> okay, buddy. And Nate, Nate from Comox says. Should I bet all or just half of my life savings on the Sharks tonight? That's from Nate uh, from Comox. Well, so that, spicy. The, the mood. Plus, plus 195, 30% yeah. implied probability. So the uh, the mood on uh, from Canucks fans is maybe a little bit of doomerism right now. But, uh, yeah, they are heavy, heavy favorites yeah. down in San Jose. Busy night of NHL action. Canucks the heaviest favorite in yep. action. Does that say more about Vancouver or the San Jose Sharks? Who cares? The Canucks are the, the Canucks most are the heavily favored team on the NHL slate tonight. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Some interesting reports out there in the national media. Some good text coming into it I want to get uh, about uh, the future of this Canucks team. So hit us up. More Canucks talk coming up here on Sportsnet 650.
Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strance on a Canucks game day. They're playing the Sharks 7.30 down in San Jose. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Com. A quick update from down in San Jose. I saw this per Curtis Pashelka, who covers the Sharks, uh, says that Rick Tockett confirms Thatcher Demko will start in night in net tonight. And he also says Tockett says he has a couple of game time decisions, which is interesting. Didn't specify which players are game time decisions, but that's something to monitor as we get closer to game time for the Canucks. Um a couple of interesting notes uh, about the Canucks from uh, from prominent NHL reporters and insiders and analysts in the national media today. This one, which continues uh, something we've heard repeatedly this week from Elliot Friedman in his 32 Thoughts column, says, Most active team behind the scenes, Vancouver. The Canucks like what they've seen though, so far. Their best players look great. They want to add don't want to toss in sweeteners to do it. A hockey move with the hope to create cap room. And he says, when others are ready, they'll be waiting. Um, I do love the, like, we want to accomplish all this, but we don't want to do any sweeteners. It's like, well, that would be great. Yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome if teams would make it really, really easy for you. I think it's going to be more difficult than that. When teams are willing to give us free stuff, we'll be waiting. We'll be right there waiting. But, you know, the line specifically about um, – the, a hockey move to create cap room. I think it's fairly easy to draw a line from that concept to a potential Connor Garland yep. trade, right? And then I guess the presumably you do that hockey deal, create a little bit of cap room. You use that cap room that you create to at some point go out and do a second move, whether it's something like signing Ethan Bear or it's another trade to bring in another player, something like that. That's fair, and I, I can see the logic in that and all everything. That's a tough two-step maneuver to pull off in season, right? Like a multi-step process to improving your team in season while while everyone else is still trying to figure out where they are and what they want to do becomes really, really difficult. Well, the fact that <clears throat> other teams aren't ready, I think, could work in the Canucks' favor because I really think it would be irresponsible to add – I mean, I know no sweeteners, but, like, come on um, – I think it would be really irresponsible, frankly, to add to this team while this is their profile, right? While they're, while they profile like a, you know, like a a playoff team, right? But with elite results because of Mm -hmm. like, this is, these are those moments where mistakes get made. You know what I mean? Like, these are the moments you really have to be careful Mm -hmm. because the way the Canucks look in terms of their results and when you watch them play is one thing and yet their form is another, right? And when while that gap persists, it's so easy to make an emotional move that turns out to be unwise. So for me anyway, if, if it takes 20 games to shake out, like that's good because, you know, I, I think late November, early December, we're going to have a way better sense of what this team is. And, and by the way, this November slate, busy, 
15 is it 15 games? I think it's 15, it's 15 games, games this month. Yeah. Busy, very busy, but also lots of winnable ones. I mean, I think a 600 point percentage is absolutely doable for the Canucks through this mm-hmm. um through this stretch of the season. You know, that's a 99 point pace, 98 point pace. Like you add that to a 6-2 and 1 start, you're a playoff team, period, right? Like you're you're, you're going to have to all you have to do is avoid the like absolute pratfall for like a 10 game stretch and and you're you're making it. So, you know, at that point, then it becomes a little bit of a different question. And that's I've been thinking a lot about this, you know, since Rick Dollywell started reporting it and Elliot Friedman as well, that the Canucks are very active, looking to add and not just add around the fringes, right? Not just make a Connor Garland move for another distressed asset, but the potential that they could be looking to do more, make a bigger splash. And you know, I mean, you and I, look, we, we don't have to get into, like, rebuilding or yada, yada, yada or anything like oh, that. we can. Um, but, like, <laughs> we, I, I think it's fair to say both of us have been in more in favor of a, a more patient approach to build to team building, right? Oh, yeah. And for me, that's very different than tanking, et cetera, but I think that's fair to say. I will say, looking at just the way this Canucks team is constructed and, you know, with JT Miller in the first year of an extension and, you know, obviously is going to continue continue to get older as we all are throughout the course of the deal but the more I think about it like I wonder if is there a patient route to building around this core now you know what I mean or has that ship sailed to the point where not this week right like but 20 games from now or January 1st and you have a 600 points percentage I can start to see myself all right you know what like rather than kind of be half in on this year being an all-in season because of, you know, the Chronic and Pedersen extensions, the looming OEL lockout or uh, buyout charge, all of those things, like, this kind of does set up as an all-in season. At what point does the logic become, well, really go all-in then, and actually maybe you should trade some futures and try to do some damage this year. I'm not saying I'm there now, but I can see that on the horizon as much as I've been an advocate of patient building because I don't know that, like, the patient route feels like it might be just closed off entirely. So why not go, instead of getting stuck in between, maybe at some point you have to go hard the other way and just lean into it, lean into the logic of how this team is built a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not opposed necessarily to that if because if your argument is that there's a chance, a real chance, that this is the best team that ever, like, your argument your argument would rest on the following assumption, in my yep. opinion. This is the best team that the Canucks will ever ice around Pedersen and Hughes in their statistical prime. Or at least there's enough of a chance that that's the case that you shouldn't waste it, right? Because if we get to January and Elias Pedersen's is still on a 120-point so pace yeah. and Quinn Hughes is playing like this and JT Miller has held up, you know what I mean? It's so, like, well, this is an opportunity. If you believe that this is the best team you're likely to ice in the statistical prime of Hughes and Pedersen's uh, careers, then I can understand your logic. Mm -hmm. But, like, as the Canucks have enjoyed just a magnificent first three weeks of the season, right, what's been the most important big-picture development for this team? What? Because there's a right answer. All right. (laughs) I'll let you supply it then. It's Jonathan LeCaramacchi. All right. It's Jonathan LeCaramacchi over in the SHL just picking his teeth with SHL goaltending and defenders, uh, cementing himself as a top-of-the-lineup player for a rebro at the age of 19 and leading that entire league in scoring. It's, you know, this guy who a year ago looked like a really distressed 
draft pick isn't just playing well, he's popping, right? And, mm-hmm. and we talk about this a fair bit. Like, you need some of these guys to pop. He's popping. Hunter Brustevich would be the other one, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, all of a sudden, A, you have a premium trade asset, right? If, if, something, if something magnificent shakes loose, right? If some once-in-a-lifetime opportunity mm-hmm. shakes loose, you now have the sort of chip where you can come to the table and, you know, depending on a team's mileage... Right, it's not as good as extra first round picks, but for some teams it might be. Depending on their mileage for Lakaramaki, you have something that might really like win you that bidding. Right over over some of the other teams. Additionally, if Lakaramaki just keeps being like a, a, a guy leveling up, like say he's t- Tavo Teravainen, right, um, or 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 a bona fide top of the lineup player like that, you have multiple years where you'll be able to plug a guy out of that caliber in on like Pedersen's wing and have potentially a high-end difference maker in your lineup even some elite upside although I you know I, I'll, I'll need to see a lot more he'll need to sustain this over the course of the season but and like, like legitimate top six upside where well, you're like, I, you feel good about having him in your top six. I, and I, I mean, I think his upside's higher than that. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, yeah, the, he's trending to be a guy who you're definitely curious to see. This team needs that, especially if it's affordable under the cap, because, you know, it's the same logic we talked about going into the season with Hoaglander and Pod Colson, right? Like, as Hirona gets more expensive, as Pedersen gets more expensive, mm-hmm. as the OEL buyout cost increases, and as JT Miller naturally becomes less efficient as an investment given his aging curve, you're going to need wins. You're going to need surplus value. Well, SHL top scorer on an ELC for three years is as surplus as it gets. Like, yeah. that's as good a bet as you can place. LaCara Mackey's development in terms of this team's overall big picture positioning might be the most important thing uh, going for it. This ties into a text that came in actually early in the show. Uh, the mildly athletic quarterback text said, uh, question for Canucks talk. Uh, what is the path to a realistic Stanley Cup contender in the next three years? Is it Volander, Brustevich, and Lakaramaki all hitting their maximum potentials, i.e. far right of the bell curve? Is it more <laughs> than that or is it less? That's skinny, from the mildly the athletic the bell curve. quarterback. And I think that's a that's an interesting question, right? Totally. Like what, and talk it, this is something Talkit has talked about now in the sense of like preparing his team on a day-to-day basis, but but the challenge is to go from good to great, right? You can be at a good level, but then how do you take that next step? That's relevant from a coaching perspective. That's relevant from a management perspective as well. And I guess the question is, you know, do you think that there's going to be enough overlap? Let's say you're really, really high on all three of those guys, Lakaramaki, Valander, and Brustevich. Do you think there's going to be enough overlap between – them being difference makers and JT Miller still being really, really good that you can be patient. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. is there going to be enough overlap in those time frames given no. the age gap between them? I mean, I get it. I get what you're saying, but I just think, like, fundamentally, you need to. So, the LeCaramaki point, that's the best development for the Canucks. Yep. What's the worst development for the Canucks? What? Sanheim. Yeah. It's, it's you know, you, you come at opponents with Carlson and McTavish, Terry Zegras, and then Minchukov, Leno, Zellweger, like a bunch of really promising defenders. And it's like that team might be set up for 15 years, right? Like that team's going to have a path to be Vancouver's equal or at least nipping on at their heels as soon as next year. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'll do it this year, but I think next year that's going to be 
at least possibly in the cards, right? These teams that profile like like Anaheim, where you're patient, you're it's like you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, and then suddenly you're a very not bad, mm-hmm. right? We saw it with the Devils, we saw it with the Hurricanes, the and Avalanche. One, and one thing that happens with these teams too is everyone picks them year after year to like level up and is like wrong year after year and all of a sudden is not wrong at all and they're just a, a wagon right um the canucks have eschewed that building approach and and what can happen then is you get into that like winnipeg cycle right where it's like one year on one year off one year on one year off um dependent partially on the play of your goaltender and how good your start is um you know that that's definitely a, a valid concern and if your point is if the Canucks are going to be in that cycle anyway, strike when the iron's hot and it appears to be hot yeah. at the moment. Like, couldn't you look back at Winnipeg and say maybe they should have been more aggressive? Well, not, not but I mean, they were trading firsts for like Kevin Hayes and yeah, Stasny. I mean, that was a very active team in terms of buying at the deadline um, for a few years in yeah. there. And I would add this. They really did get to the level of being a cup contender oh, yeah. in that 2019 season. Um but that series against Nashville, I think, tired them out, and then they lost to Vegas. Just like kind of got unlucky. But but they would they were better than Vegas. Like Winnipeg, Washington would have been a way better Stanley mm. Cup final in terms of team quality. So my my point being that my point here is that I think it depends on what you're getting back, right? So it's like, is there a piece that's high leverage enough that you could see the Canucks like really giving? your L.A., Edmonton, Vegas, uh, uh, like a, a real run through the first two rounds of the playoffs in the in the Pacific, right? Because that, to me, is sort of the measure. It's like if you can get – if you have a realistic shot of getting to the conference final, you have a realistic shot of winning the Cup. Yeah. So um, are there – is there a piece out there that you could get that would be sufficient? Yeah. To, to load the dice so that you felt or good about Or could you find role. a way to do two pieces in, in any way? Like, I don't know if you have the assets, and like, that's just so complicated at that point. But, like, does is that – would it take, realistically, two pieces to kind of push them up the, uh, the hierarchy of the NHL into this conversation? And I, I just think, for me, you know, so often the counterpoint held out to rebuilding is, well, we're just going to build, right? We're just going to slow and steady build, and we're just going to chip away at it, and we'll we'll get a little better every year. And as much as I'm all about patience, like, I think you look at how this team is built and where it's going, there's just too much uncertainty into the future for me to feel really, really confident in that kind of patient approach right now. Like, you know what I mean? You're, like, you know, you're suggesting the ship may have already like, sailed. Exactly. Like, because Miller's so going to well get older. You know, Andre Kuzmenko is going to be a pending UFA next year. Ian Cole's a UFA this year, right? So that's like another top four defenseman that you're looking to add. We all know the PD and Hronik things. There's just too much that's going to change in the near future for me to look at it and say, yeah, just go slow and steady for the next three years. And then in three years, you'll be ready to no. challenge for the cup. Well, like, that's not, not how this team is es- built. Especially because in three years, Anaheim's going to have like three elite players in there statistical prime and you're gonna have none yeah so that's not exactly that's not how the, this, like this might be no, you, you, this might be a peak petter the the peak petterson hughes season I, in terms of their combined i impact, think it's interesting right and if that's the case and you're getting good results from miller and hey everyone's buying into the coach the message hasn't gone stale or whatever anything like that right like i'm not saying i have them as a stanley cup contender i just start to think about it and it's like what is being patient with this team really going to get you how much is that going to move the needle for the next two or three years versus especially, trying to do something right now. Especially because, like, I think there was a time where that was a, a credible path, and in my yep. opinion, a preferable one. But 
I, I, I do think to a large extent that ship sailed the moment you did the Miller deal. And, and then I think adding the OEL buyout and then using that cap space on now like win now ish pieces, but at least with short term, right? Mm-hmm. Like not mm-hmm. your, I, I want to be clear that I'm not like suggesting irresponsibility, but like, you know, you bring in Ian Cole and he makes you better this season. He doesn't like add asset value to your organization the way that using that cap space to like take on a distressed player and get a pick or something mm-hmm. like that would. Um, so yeah, no, you know what? It's interesting. And then Rutherford's MO, right? Is, Hasn't been afraid to do well, but big it, moves. But is specifically to add a star. Yeah. Right? Whether it's Waite, Kessel. Like the, the Rutherfordian MO is if you think it's the time is right, and Elliot's reporting certainly suggests that the Canucks are open to that possibility, shocker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not go out and get Mantha for Garland. Well, it's this, go out and get a star. This text comes in, would you guys prefer they add around the edges or take another swing, like another Philipronic deal? And, for yeah, they're not in – like, there's, there's a way that contenders operate at the deadline where it's like, we need a depth center, and we're going to trade a third-round pick for that depth center. Yeah. That's not where the Canucks are. The no. Canucks, to – the, the logic of it is that they have to take a swing. Like, you have to go out and add an impact player. Ideally, even not a rental, right? Because maybe you try to keep it open for next year as well, despite all the uncertainty. But for me, yeah, again, like, I know it means bringing a first-round pick into play or potentially a, a LeCaramacchi into play, and that can be pretty scary for a team position the way the Canucks are. But I do think that's the kind of thing you need to have that sort of impact player coming in to have a realistic shot at – you know, getting into the stratosphere that you want to get to. Yeah, and I just think for this team, if you're going to do that, and I don't think I don't think they should. To be totally honest with you, like I get the logic of it, but mm-hmm. I think your chances of landing the plane and getting to where you want to go remain so remote, given the competition in the West. That to me, this isn't. To me, you're you're better off still stockpiling, you know, and and like. Hughes to me profiles as a guy who's unlike anyone we've ever seen. I mm-hmm. think you can. I think you should throw out. I mean, I'll still use statistical prime as a descriptor of of him as he ages. But like, I'm gonna be zero percent surprised if Quinn Hughes's best season comes at 29. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we've never seen a defender his size with his productivity play this many games this early in their career. Like, there's no model. There's no model that captures how much the game has changed. For this dude. You know what I mean? So like I also think it's important to note with players like Hughes and Pedersen, statistical prime is still a thing, but even after it, they can they remain top of the lineup championship caliber oh, players yeah. for in a fact, long time. In you fact, know? you have further to come down from, right? Like as yeah. you age, because you're so good. So it's not as if it's like when you when people say like, oh, they're gonna be out of their statistical prime, it's not like, and therefore he won't be a first line center. No, no, like, no. no, 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 no. That's not it. He's he's so much above that right now that he has room. He can plateau after that for a little bit. Anze Kopitar, still a game winning player. Yeah. Right? But Anze Kopitar at twenty eight, or sorry, twenty six when they were winning cups, totally different than Anze Kopitar today. Uh we all know this. Like there's there's no controversy. It should I I don't think, but you're right. You're right to qualify it. The um, yeah, no, the look, it's a it's a tricky one. Having gone all into this point, I, I do think the Canucks should be cognizant at least of the fact that they're pretty pot committed into this season. And don't you think the Patterson situation just adds to it, right? Like that's just another. It'd be one thing maybe to be like, hey, you know what? We're gonna keep our powder dry if you had him 
on an eight-year deal yep. right now. But oh, I think it just sure. adds another, like, ooh, you know what? But, again, if you do it, you know, you you, you, you do the Kevin Hayes trade that Winnipeg did, for example, right? You, mm-hmm. you trade the first for the guy, and that's, you know, one fewer LeCaramacchi or Volander-type lottery ticket, you know, in your bank. And, and if you go out in the second round, I mean, granted, you get – whatever six games of playoff home revenue and and that's nothing to sniff at but i mean next season all of the fundamentals that are working against this team anyway right we've gone over the four major ones um that'll make it hard to keep improving year over year you know like just because it's going to be hard to keep improving year over year doesn't mean that that should be your focus given that i don't know that this is like a contending team yet and anyway yep and anyway, it's one thing to make that determination 50 games into the year ahead of the trade deadline if you've, like, managed Demko's minutes a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone's healthy. And because here's the other one. Like, Pedersen um, is, seems to be battling something minor. Mm-hmm. Still second in the league in scoring. What a... Not bad. <laughs> you know, what an absolute monster. Rick Tockett saying some day-to-day, some guys are game-time decisions per Curtis Pashelka of the um, Mercury News in San Jose. Well, like, if you're going to do a move like that, you got to make sure that it's really your best shot. Yep. You know, like you got to make sure things are shaping up well, or that it's that it has that it improves you for the well, following year as well. Right. So we're we're at we're at the we're at the should the Canucks could the Canucks be justified at going all in portion of the season nine games into the year? I'm just saying I can I can the can't. But I'm right is the thing. No, the internal logic makes sense. I yeah. just and again, I'm not. Saying, I just don't think. I'm I don't not think they're there yet. I don't think I'm it's how this like team wins January, the cup. February. I don't think it's how this organization ultimately brings the Stanley Cup to Vancouver. Like fundamentally, I get what you're saying, but I th- I feel like your assumption, while sound, rests on a lowered expectations standard for the organization. I see what you mean. And Kevin from Calgary says, I'm not on board with that. I don't think the team is either. It's about multiple years of contention, of a contention window. Lots of bad can happen in one year all of a sudden, right? And there is. If you put all of your eggs in this basket and one or two things goes against you, like a Pedersen injury, that's a big problem. Canucks Canucks trade for Toffoli and Markstrom gets hurt a week later. And then the pandemic sort of helps them get into the playoffs. But, like, my goodness, we all remember where this team was positioned when the season stopped. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it was... It was um, going to be a tight sort of run-in yep, if they to were going to make it. And I just, I, like, I get, I, I think what he, what Kevin from Calgary says there, right, where you need to create a multiple-year window where you're consistently a contender, that would be my preference. I completely agree with that, right? And yeah. you look at the example. No, of like your, the your wa- point's the ship sale. The Washington Capitals, right, where they were really, really good. It was like, oh, they can't get over the hump, but then they won. They St. Louis through. Blues. This happens. I get it. That's. I think that is the best path to winning a Stanley Cup. I just don't – I don't see that while JT Miller still has impact upside at his age. Like, that's the concern for me, right? If JT Miller was 25, too, like Elias Pettersson, I'd be like, okay, yeah, all right, hey, don't, don't be trading things. Keep building gradually to this. I just don't know that the gradual build helps you add enough talent to get there. Well, right? Yeah. No, that, I, that's it. And I think that's a huge risk and part of why 
you know, what this team's going to be trying to accomplish in terms of carving out that multi-year window is, is going to be done on a knife's edge, given yeah. their positioning in so many ways, some of them inherited and some of them self-inflicted by this management the- group. I just don't think the difficulty of that, I don't think the internal logic of like, well, our own impatience has created a small window, <laughs> so let's shorten it further. I don't think we should be satisfied with that. You know, like, I don't think we should be satisfied with that or accept that assumption. Even if I, even if I think your point is logically sound, the one thing I will say is I, I think Jim Rutherford's comfort uh, level of comfort and his kind of track record of making a big shakeup trade and like being willing to shuffle the deck, I think that is a good thing to have here because I do like I think again this is not a an add around the edges situation even if the Canucks are as good as their record suggests this is a you need to do something big situation and I think he has the confidence to go out and do that uh, from the inbox by the way Brian Rafalski was putting up points into his late 30s same type of player as Quinn Hughes Quinn Hughes is way better than Brian Rafalski yeah you know like the Brian Campbell Rafalski comps I think are fun stylistic ones but like again this is this is a historic player you know, he's really good. He's the one guy like throw out every aging curve. You know, if you're making to me the like Sedin twin argument or whatever for JT Miller, it's like Miller, by the way, having an unbelievable season at the age of 30. Cool. Like, I still think, you know, we see we've seen with Blake Wheeler and Jamie Ben and like really high end skilled playmaking power mm-hmm. forwards like what it looks like as they get into their 30s jt miller might be able to buck that aging curve for a little bit longer especially because he can play center but like quinn hughes is the guy who i'd bet on bet on to if you're gonna bet on an outlier bet on the guy who literally just yeah. doesn't have comparables <laughs> uh we'll take a break here you can keep your thoughts coming in 650 650 Antoine Roussel former Canucks forward joins us again now a regular on the show every week we're going to get a chance to chat with Roussel really excited about that he joins us next here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we are now very pleased to be joined on the line by former Canucks forward Antoine Roussel. Antoine, thanks for doing this again, and we're really excited to have you on uh, on the show on a weekly basis. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm doing really well. Uh, I'm very excited about that, and I uh, can't wait to watch more Canucks games. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, it's been fun. It's been yeah. a lot of fun so far this year. Now, the last game they played against Nashville wasn't their, their best performance, but they still come away with a win. And, you know, even after the game, Rick Tockett said, hey, that's really not our brand of hockey. There's a lot of things we have to improve. As a player, how did you react after a game where you won, you got the result, but you knew – you could still play a lot better as a team than you did. 
Well, I was still happy because we found a way to win. Uh, you don't bank those ones like, uh, or like you don't save as save those ones as much as you want to. But still, it's the two points that matter. You uh, you keep pushing forward. You look ahead at what the issue you want to uh, target or focus on and improve from there. And uh, it's those kind of games that happen early in the season that don't really bug me. Those that bug me are the ones that happens at the end of the season. When you are like 70 games in and you're still doing big mistakes, but at the end of the day, like I said at the start, the key is like you find a way to win. Is it easier to kind of keep it in perspective too when you you're off to a good start like the Canucks are right? So you're not you're not chasing in the standings right? You you feel maybe the pressure a little bit off you, so you can kind of take a step back and say, okay, we have to refocus here. Whereas you know some teams are they're in the hole right away, and I think maybe it's harder to have that perspective. Oh, absolutely! It's so hard, and I always say like when you chase the playoff race the whole year, you go into a playoff in the panic mode, and you're always like. You don't know it, and you want you don't want to say to yourself, but you're like you go in tired. You go in like mentally like uh, drained, mentally exhausted a little bit, but you're still there, so you got to keep pu- pushing. But if you find the chance to get in there without the without that feeling, with cruising all year, being good, I really uh, strongly believe that you're going in there with the best chance to succeed long term. Roos, I know you were a guy who was aware beyond the results, right, of, of how you'd played in terms of what you were giving up, what, what you generated when you were on the ice. When you're early in a year and things are going your way, but to some extent the results don't necessarily match your form, like how, how do you manage wanting to sort of – how do you manage not getting too loose – Right? In, in, well, in terms of getting those well, wins. Know, like, no, I, I totally understand what you mean. Well, you don't want to get too loose, but you, it's like you got to still like stay positive, even if you mm. don't play your best, but you still win. Like, I mean, it's hard to like pin, like be hard on yourself too hard. But like, you know, like you, you look at your details, you look at your shift as a personal player, but even as a team, like you, uh, you look at the shifts together and you pinpoint where the area you want to get better. And, those are the coaches that put them out there for you to see and improve. But then there's also the one as a, like you still have a job as a player to do and still like look for ways to improve your game. Because I always thought like it's a team sport, but within that team sport, there's also a big, like a huge part of like a, a single guy sports. You got to find a way like to improve yourself on a daily basis and, and get better. And if you don't, you don't, that's, where you slide and your performance, if you add them up and you like you, you slide, you slide at the end, you might lose more games than you win. But if you like you win and but you don't play that good, but you you still push and look for those details like stick on puck, finish your guy in front, uh, like let's say on the D, on the uh, on the neutral zone, don't get uh, passed by, like get some uh, some kind of obstruction. Those details, all of them. It matters, and they help you build a winning team and the winning culture at the end. Antoine, were you aware, like, you played most of your career, in fact, you played all of your career in an era where there were three-point games, right, where if you went to overtime, both teams got uh, at least a point out of it. 
were you aware how important as a player uh, getting off to a good start was in, in terms of solidifying your playoff spot? For sure. Like as a as I was younger, I wasn't really focusing on the on the and wasn't really focusing on the on the on the team. Not not in a selfish way, but I was more more focused on how I played and what I needed to do to stay on the team. Because like when you're young, mm. that's the kind of thing you think about. But as you get older, like you're more established, uh, you feel better first about your game, but about being there, you like you feel you really feel like you belong. But at that point, when you feel like you get older, that's the first thing you you notice. Like, because I've been on teams where you miss the playoff by four points, and those ones like they linger all summer. They're hard to swallow. They're the one that like hurt you the most because you know that that game in October or September was the one that uh, you weren't really caring about that one. But it's doesn't really matter but at the end those games are the same amount of points as the one at the end and if you can't like really like focus right like have the right focus right mindset from the get-go it's hard and that's why i always like teams that kind of show up early for training camp for before training camp even i've been on teams where most teams like in dallas guys will show up like mid uh mid-august to show up from the team and most of the team were there to get going, to get a head start. And the, that was captain practice. But some, for some teams, it's easier. And for some teams, it's harder to do that. Depends on the city. Depends on the setup you have. Uh, it's always easier for teams that have, like, a practice facility. Like, the Canucks don't have one. So, for some reason, sometimes it's kind of hard. Antoine, one of the things that happened in the uh, Nashville game, uh, Rick Tockett benched JT Miller relatively briefly at the end of the second period. It was really just a couple of shifts, but he, you know, he spent about four minutes watching on the bench and then was back for the third period. What's your reaction as a, as a player when you see one of the teams, you know, arguably their best forward so far this year, even for a short time, uh, the coach sits him down. What does that say to you as a player when you see that? I see that the coach like held, held the guys accountable. And I like that. I like that. You know, I'm a, and I always say I'm a huge fan of JT. JT is like the horse in this mm. team. He, like, he carries the road for, the, for a lot of guys. I know sometimes like he can, like from the outside, you can see that like, oh, it's like not the right attitude you want, but like you always want to have a guy that has the fire rather than have a, having a, a guy that you need to put the fire inside the guy. So, like, for those reasons, I always loved him, like, really. And he shows up, and sometimes even, for, like, for the, for the players, it's hard, and your coach do the best for your, the team. But then it's also nice, like, that those guys, like, know where they stand, too. Like, hey, you have your elastic. It's longer than the whole team. But sometimes, like, hey, like, it's not going too well. It's nice to have to see it, to see it. I think it's really nice, and it keeps the best player also on your team at Colorball. And I like that from the coaching staff. But you don't want you don't want to press those buttons too often either. It's uh, it's just a balance that the coaching staff gotta find. You know, as you said, it's the coach holding the player accountable in that case. And you know, the Canucks have talked a lot about trying to build that culture of accountability. When something like that happens, does the player is there anything the player has to do to be accountable to his teammates after it, or is it just do you move on pretty quickly after something like that? 
wow or something like some those um, those times when the coach does it, you don't have to do it. That's the coach's job too. Like that's his primary job to like keep guys accountable. And like all the coach gotta say, oh, on the best team, like the guys, like they uh, they keep themselves accountable. Yeah, but on a certain degree, like sometimes like guys rather have the coach, you know, take the hit or because sometimes he brings conflict and conflict is good, but you don't want to have too much of that. And sometimes he can be like, he, he can suck the air out of the room if there's too much of that. So the balance, I like when the, the players does it and I should, uh, like, I'm a big fan of that, but also you got to know who you're talking to because some guys don't take it the right way or like they're not used to be talked like that. And, but primarily, like, like I said, I like when the coach takes like the more weight on that regard than the players. Antoine, how difficult is it over 82 to sustain, like in your mind, are you aware of how long the season is? Even if you've gotten off to a, to a strong start like this, like, you you strong start yeah strong start you feel like oh, like you don't see the season go by those those are <laughs> the season because you're like oh man we're already at Christmas are you kidding me <laughs> yeah, you look around the corner it's April yeah we're in the playoffs and those seasons are absolutely like the best they are thrilling they're awesome uh, you always like you know everybody's happy for the most part when you make the playoff and when you're you don't have to battle too much. It's like, it's like a walk in the park. But those ones where like, there's a lot of struggles. You go with like five, six uh, uh, wingless games. Then it's off. Oh, those losing streaks are, are tough and they're tough mentally. And you, you, well, obviously if you get too much of that, you don't make the playoff, but you don't want to have them too much. You want to snap when things don't go your way. You want to snap them right in the bag because sometimes they get out of hand. And, you know, how many seasons have you, like, have you ever been through a season where you started hot and things got away from you? No, <laughs> I don't think so. Like, that's, like... It's pretty rare, right? No, well, I mean, either we started well or, or we didn't start well, and then it's kind of like, it was hard the whole season. Mm. But at one time when we won the West in, with Dallas, I, like, that start of this season was magnificent that was awesome like the whole team was buzzing and at christmas i well maybe a little before that but i think the first 20 game were 16 uh, 4 and 1 or uh, something like that like for the first 20 uh, 21st game so it's kind of it was fun because we were like going in the building and thinking god this is, we're gonna like take the and not like in a not a cocky way but we were so confident on a, like on our end, we're like, oh, we're gonna walk in there and it's gonna be like, it's gonna be our game. We're gonna dictate. We're gonna show up there and they're not gonna touch the puck and they're gonna like finish the game, look at us like, oh, we're so far away from those guys. And that season that I'm talking about, I can't really pin it down. Like I don't have the, my computer in front of me, but that was like, that was a hell of a season and that was so much fun. And we got it in the playoff. We won the first round and then we lost in overtime game seven against St. Louis. And unfortunately, we couldn't go further. But that team was built so well. And 
like our nemesis at that time was St. Louis. And we would have taken anybody else in the league. I really feel like we would have went way further than we went. But unfortunately, this playoff format is the way it is. And you always like play in your division until the uh, uh, the conference final. So it's uh, it, it was hard for that. It's tough loss. It was hard to swallow because we had the team. So he, he hurt more at the end. Part of the long season is there's, there's going to be games where maybe it's hard to get as motivated for as some of the other ones. Tonight, the Canucks play the San Jose Sharks. No wins in nine games so far for the Sharks. And, you know, coaches and players always say, we don't take anyone lightly. This is, you know, that's a good team. There's talented players over there. Is it harder, though, for a, play, for a player, Antoine, to get excited and to, to be motivated oh. for a game against a team at the bottom of the standings? Are you kidding me? I think the boys are excited, beyond excited. You look <laughs> at those games, and if I'm P- uh, Petey, Augie, Millsy, even like if you're a fourth-line guy, you're like, oh, this is not a really good team. And good, bad, like, bad team doesn't mean bad players. They are means like they don't play well together. But to me, like when I see teams like that, I was like, let's get a goal tonight. Let's, let's start this season. Let's get maybe two. Let's get excited about that. So much fun, and uh, yeah, you don't like you don't take it lightly. But you know where they are. You don't know. Sometimes you don't know much of the players because, like, sometimes teams are in the in the rebuild, and so like you don't take them lightly. But you're excited for that game for sure. Uh, we've heard a lot of talk this week, Antoine, here about the Canucks, their management, looking to be active, looking to try to improve the team and you know not necessarily that they're doing it to reward the players for a good start but maybe that's part of it and you know I remember of course you were on the team uh when the Canucks traded for Tyler Toffoli uh before the season shut down that year and you know that came after Brock Besser was injured and management goes out and makes a statement by bringing in Tyler Toffoli and I think part of the logic there was we owe it to our players who've had a good season so far put themselves in contention for the playoffs to go out and do something what did what was the reaction to that deal in the room? What did did you feel like management really had your backs and was rewarding you for for having a good year? Oh yeah, like that. And even when I was on the like, the, I think the year prior that or my first year actually, I said a comment when uh, like not a round trend deadline, but maybe a, uh, a month before, and um, I said yeah, you like even if you're on a rebuild, you always want to put your manager on a bad spot, meaning you want him like to ask himself the question, should I like improve these teams? Should I like give them a little something? And like for, for them, sometimes it's easy. Like you, you don't show too much, like you don't win too many games. And then like, it's, it's uncertain, but like when you're strong and like you, you, the, the team feels like they have a chance to like, you know, like find a way into the playoff. Yeah. I think it's a, like, yeah, as a player, we're excited. When we got to 40, we were, like, beyond excited. We were, like, I think, like, we, we re- at that time, we really had a good team. And that's the, that's the, the, the message you want to send. You're the, the, the direction of the team, the, your GM or the president, that you're ready, you want more. And as a, as a GM and as a president, I'll be excited to see that. So, yeah, like, sometimes you want to see that as a player. But then, like, I, you get to know... And that first year, I said a comment like that, and um, and I like a lot Ian McIntyre. He, like he pulled me apart. He's like, hey, you know, like 
you're it's, you can't really say that in front of the media because like you know you know the team's in the rivals. I'm like I don't care where, like what you guys think from the outside. Guys in the inside, they want to win every time. They don't care about the rebuild. They want a chance to play in the playoff every time. So, yeah, to answer your question, if you can add up a player that really that helps you, like, you know, get some experience in playoff, and it's, uh, it, it means a lot, and it can go a long way. With, uh, with players being added, do you, do you, is it easier – to, to integrate a new guy when they're added to the room closer to the deadline once you've sort of established your team identity? Can it can it be – is it different when you get a new face in the room early in the year? Well, yeah, I, I like getting the guys early. Like, you know, <laughs> no, but like early, I mean, like not after 10 games. I mean like early, like January. Like yeah, right. Like no, no manager is going to like make a difference – or like get a good trade in right away, right off the bat. Like they're gonna see where the season goes because I've I've seen Montreal being first in the league in the at Christmas and they miss playoffs right after. So you know sometimes like you wanna you don't wanna like pull the shoot too early. But then like I I like when those guys came in a little bit earlier because at the deadline, 20 games, if it's a super skilled guy that you add in. Sometimes those guys either they click right away, or it takes longer. And you don't want that longer to be in playoff. You want you want that to resolve before that. So some and it's not easy moving mid season. Some guys have families. Some guys have like they've been to the same sport, uh, same spot. And look at Dwarvat for example. Last year got traded, been in the, in the, in Vancouver for for the his territory, went there and he's adaptation went a little slow and and it's hard because you're used to the trainer you're used to everything at the ring um some teams like are built around you so it's uh I, to answer that question i like the, to get them early so they can get more um get a better feel for the city for the team uh and for everything that uh, your team has to offer so yeah early antoine always appreciate the time great stuff man and uh, enjoy your week we'll chat again next week Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. That is former Canucks forward Antoine Roussel weighing in on uh, lots of things happening with the team this year. And I love his answer about – because you always hear, and I saw – I haven't listened to the talk at audio, but uh, I just see the quote from the audio the Canucks posted is, I don't think we have the right to take anybody lightly. And, of course, in reference to San Jose. And you hear that. That is one of the great rote – cliches of hockey media availabilities right oh that's a that's they've got some good players over there that's a tough they play hard that's a proud team over there right when you're facing a a a seller dweller that's a proud team over there is so good you know exactly what i'm talking about right like oh no of course why why would we take them lightly what are you talking about sorry i do but talk it added the extra little bit of vinegar on it which is we haven't earned that basically yeah yeah which i think that's who are we to think we're anybody yeah. was what he said about his team after the Philadelphia. Who are we? Who are we? Yeah. And I think that's very fair in the Canucks oh, instance. I, I just like it. But I mean, in general, you always hear that across the board. And then Antoine Roussel is like, no, no, no. Fourth liners are like, let's go score some goals tonight, guys. Let's let's dominate this team. Let, let's show them what we're all about. Which is, I think, exactly the approach the Canucks fourth line should have and the third line tonight. Go well, put some goals up on the board. Well, what's interesting, too, tonight and we'll um we'll chat with Batch about it a little bit uh, in the next segment. But Pedersen 
really didn't participate in practice yesterday, only mm-hmm. took a brief twirl at the optional morning skate today, and Rick Tockett explicitly saying he's got some game-time decisions. Is this one where maybe the Canucks will be without Pedersen? Because mm-hmm. it does sound like Jack Stanika's in, too. And the thing about Stanika is he can bump he in plays, as a center. So, center. you know, I, I'll be curious to see if the Canucks end up playing with you know, one hand behind their back. I mean, is there now, as we just finished saying about how nobody ever takes a team lightly, is there like a, do you really think there's an argument that Pedersen hasn't been their best forward? Uh, I think that line's been their most consistent night to night, but like, I think Pedersen's should be on heart ballot short lists through the first 10 games of the year. Yeah. Miller's been really good too. I'm not saying he hasn't. I I just think, I just don't think there's, I think the five on five, I don't think it's arguable more consistently, but I guess maybe the production. So, so, so of his line mates, like that's true. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's arguable. Is there a load management case for resting Pedersen? We don't know what he's dealing with. Right. But if you think he's banged up a little bit and you're, you, you, I mean, you've staked yourself a good record already. You're playing San Jose. Like if you can nip something in the bud and it doesn't develop into a bigger injury, Hey, look, if 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 you've got a contract year guy second in the NHL in scoring who's like, yeah, I'll go along with it. Yeah, I'll go along with that. Then sure, I'm I'm all for them making that case, but man, that that would be one heck of an act of um of selflessness from a star player given the underlying circumstances, right? I mean, that would be and selfishly from my perspective, I'd add this. I want to see Pedersen go out and try and score 50 and yeah. get 120 points and on and on. Like, let's and, go. And dominate the Sharks tonight. <laughs> that, that would be fun, too. Also, McDavid's hurt for a couple weeks. Like, the Hart Trophy race is – or, sorry, the Art Ross Trophy race. Like, and the Hart. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. Like, but I mean, they I, go hand-in-hand hand a little bit. Yeah, not really. How many people no, win but like, there's But, like, if you're in contention for the Art Ross, you're at least going to put yourself in the in the Hart conversation. I'm not saying it's like a guarantee or anything, but yeah, it's it's they're linked. Are they? Yes, of course they are to a degree. In the last twenty years, only two players have won it both on the same season. Yeah, but how many guys who won the heart were like third in the Art Ross or something? That's what I mean. Aginla in 02 and Ovechkin in 08. Yeah, no, I mean, but no one, you're not like the Art Ross doesn't have finalists. You win it or you don't. No, I know, but it has de facto finalists. I, I guess. You're right. There's no correlation between scoring lots of points and winning the heart. Of course there is. Oh, you have to ha- hit a baseline, but I'm just saying it's not. Anyway, I'm just talking Art Ross. That's what is open. I mean, I, selfishly, I want to see Pedersen, you know, go get after it. All right. We'll 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 take a break here. Brendan Batchelor is going to join us. We'll to take set a up. short break, break from bickering about semantics. <laughs> it's a bickering about absolutely nothing. <laughs> Could not be less important or o- less relevant. Ovechkin in like, 08. How dare you? Ovechkin in 08, Aginla in um, 02, I guess Henrik Sedin too, right? But wait, surely Connor McDavid won the heart le- last year. Oh, sorry. This is the Art Ross and Rocket Richard. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I messed this up. So yeah, McDavid, Henrik Sedin. Okay. Sorry. You're right. I'm just going to back off since I was looking at yeah! the wrong thing. Nailed it. All right. Um, we will take a break. Brendan Batchelor up next here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. It's the Canucks and the Sharks tonight at 7.30. Of course, you'll be able to hear it here on Sportsnet 650 with our guy, Brendan Batchelor, the voice of the Canucks. I don't think you should crescendo. I don't think you should crescendo on Sharks. <laughs> no. It should be like, the Canucks! And also the Sharks. And the Sharks are also going to be there. Huh? Batch, what's going on, man? Not too much. How are you guys? Uh, we're well. Um, have you found, because I know I turned up a bunch, like a, a favorite Sharks futility stat doing your prep today, researching the Sharks team that has one point through nine games on the season. I wonder if our uh, Sharks futility stat is the same one. They can become just the fourth team in NHL history to start a season with 10 straight losses if they lose. <laughs> yeah, my... What are the other three? Uh, I'm looking at them right now. The 1943-1944 New York Rangers. Okay. The 2017-2018 Arizona Coyotes. And the 2021-2022 Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> Woof. They are currently tied with the uh, 2021-22 Blackhawks with nine straight losses to start the year, oh. and there's a couple other teams that have also had nine straight losses. I'm so upset. Well. Antoine Roussel was just on the show and was on that second. He was on that, that Arizona Coyotes, Coyotes team. team. You're right. Yeah. But, like, literally, literally, it's like, so you you had to either play for the Coyotes or have, like, an awful lot of players away at war. To be yeah. as bad as the Sharks are. <laughs> Pretty much. And uh, I should mention all three of those other teams I mentioned actually lost 11 straight games to start the season. So uh, nobody has lost exactly 10. So if the Sharks lose the game against the Canucks and then win their next one, they would be the lone team in NHL history to have a 10-game losing streak, but not an 11-game losing streak to start a season. So on, fr- on uh, Friday of um, – yeah, on Friday – uh, of last week, Jamie and Dimitri and I drafted teams for when the Sharks would win their first game. I have, I obviously drafted the Canucks tonight, and and one of the other teams that I'm holding is the Montreal Canadiens on the 24th of November. And at the time, <laughs> and at the time, Jamie laughed at me saying, "That's ridiculous." I did, but are you still laughing? Look, they're gonna win eventually. It will happen somehow, some yeah. way. It will it will happen. Uh, I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough research into like where their schedule wins might be. Like mm, who's coming in on the second half mm, of a back to back. Like I see they've got Pittsburgh at home on Saturday. I don't know if Pittsburgh plays tomorrow. Like maybe there's a world in which it happens in that game. Uh, they got Philadelphia next week. Maybe there's a world in which it happens in that game. They've got Anaheim November 12th. You know, that's possible, but um yeah, it's they're not a very good hockey team, and you feel for for fans in Northern California who have gone through an era of really exciting Sharks teams to watch. You think back to you know the the Sharks teams of of ten plus years ago, like the team the Canucks played in twenty eleven, or the team that went to the Stanley Cup final, and to say that this team is a shadow of those teams is 
you know, <laughs> an insult unfair, to shadows, unfair to shadows. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I, I, so yeah, you're first of all, it's unbelievable. The sharks are have been, I think, the until like just the last little bit, they were the number one point percentage team of the cap era, and and now they're eighth. That's how bad they've been over the last two years. Uh, but also, I have a secret for you, Batch. Anytime your schedule has the San Jose Sharks on it, it's a schedule win. <laughs> well, is that what the betting odds say? Is that what yeah. You're oh, yeah. At? Canucks oh, yeah. are heavy, yeah. heavy, heavy favorites even yeah. on the road. Minus tonight. 230. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I'm not surprised to hear that. But what I meant was, like, I, I agree. They have to win a game eventually. And... You know, if you get another team coming in on the second half of a back-to-back, maybe another team that's struggling yeah. uh, when they're the rested team, like that's what I mean by scheduled win. And and hopefully for their fans, they get at least a few of those this year, a, a handful or a bunch maybe. Even. Do, you, do you think we could have more sufficiently jinxed the Canucks than we just did <laughs> in the first five minutes? Like, is anyone going to go on record and, like, guarantee a Canucks win tonight, I'm boys? Not, like, what's, what's what's next for this conversation? I said they I, have to win at some point. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i never willing to guarantee a Canucks win just because it's the Vancouver Canucks. And it has nothing to do with the current edition of the team or the coaching staff or management or anything. It's just it's the Vancouver Canucks. And weird things happen, right? Like backup goaltenders that you've never heard of have their first career shutout against the Vancouver Canucks. So um, all of this said, yes, the Sharks, bad team, not going to win a lot of games, haven't won a game yet. But – the Canucks have to, you know, show up and, and have a professional performance because they are still a hockey team that will work hard against you. And so if they have a game like they did in Philadelphia, for example, there is absolutely a world in which the San Jose Sharks win this game tonight and break their goose egg to start the year. And, you know, we had a bunch of people texting in to start the show along those lines of what you're saying, Batch, like, hey, it's the Canucks. Of course they'll find a way to lose against the Sharks. My point has been I actually think it's a good thing that the Canucks got a bit of a wake-up even though they won the game yeah. against Nashville with Tockett criticizing him because you got to think they're going into this saying we got to get back on track and we have the perfect opponent and the perfect opportunity to do it against tonight. Yeah, and, you know, Thatcher Demko in net, too. I mean, um, not that I, I think Casey DeSmith wouldn't be capable, but I thought that was an interesting decision from the coach that, that it'll be Demko tonight against the Sharks. And, yeah, I mean, it, I, I agree with you to a point, though, because they still won the hockey game. Right. And we always talk about how teams start to play poorly and you can see the signs of things turning towards the end of a winning streak but they still find a way to win some games and then they eventually, you know, lose. And you could say, okay, we could have seen that coming for the last two or three games. So, um, you know, I, I think you're right. I think they, they all understand they weren't good enough on uh, Tuesday, I guess it was, and uh, need to be better tonight on the road in San Jose. Um, but it's one thing to say that. And then it's another thing to, you know, I've had a pretty good run here looking to extend your point streak. You know how bad the Sharks have been. And to a certain extent, I think it's human nature, not just for the Canucks, but for any team to maybe not take tonight's game quite as seriously as you would if it was the New York Rangers again or the Edmonton Oilers or, you know, a, a bona fide or expected 
Cup contender. So uh, I think we will learn a lot about the character of this group and about how sustainable some of the things we've seen from them, some of the good things we've seen from them to this point in the year. We'll learn about that by how well they play this game tonight, how professionally they approach it, and how committed they are to the things in their game that Rick Tockett wants them to continue to do to have success, even against what should be a vastly inferior opponent. If you had to pick one player from San Jose Sharks history that you think could tilt the game, and let's go pre-Joe Thornton era to challenge you a little bit, who would you put onto the Sharks roster that could at least make this, let's say, uh, you know, Sharks plus 150 or uh, sort of odds? Uh, Arthur Zerbe? Wow, Arthur Zerbe with the white plain goalie mask? Yeah, I mean, goaltending to me is is the only individual player that could make a significant difference for mm. this team when you look at, at how much they've struggled to start the year. And they're rolling out Mackenzie Blackwood and Capo Kakinen in their crease right now. So you've got to look at into the past who was a bona fide. I guess, you know, Kelly Rudy played in San Jose too. Yep. So maybe he, you could put him in that conversation as well, although that was towards the end of his career. But if you're talking about you know, cherry picking one guy and dropping him into this roster or onto this team. To me, it has to be a goaltender because I don't know if any uh, forward or defenseman would be able to make a big enough difference for this team. So you're telling me Pat Falloon is not walking through that door? No, I don't think so. so Sandus Ozalinich, anyone? Nor, nor Ray Whitney. Ozalinich, yeah. sorry. Ozalinich? <laughs> Who? <laughs> He's definitely not helping. No. He was, by the way, on that Latvian team. Mix and dresses were really uh, anyway. What have you liked? <laughs> what have you liked best and believe in the most in terms of sustainability that you've seen from the Canucks so far? And what have you seen from the Canucks so far that you think is likely to subside over the balance of the season? Uh, in terms of what I think is likely to subside, I think the scoring that they've put up to this point and, and not to say they don't have players that can score, but the rate at which they are scoring to me feels a little bit unsustainable as a team. Like they've gotten some good secondary scoring from defensemen like Susie and Myers. That's certainly not always going to be there. You know, Quinn Hughes only had seven goals last year. He's already up to three. And I believe he is going to score more this year based on um, how aggressive he's been jumping up in the play. Um, but I'm not expecting him to be a, a 20 goal scorer or a 15 goal scorer even, or anything like that. So oh, um, I, I think of, I'd, I'd bet the over on 14, five. Interesting. Yeah. Like it's, it's around that range potentially for me, like, you know, 14, 15, could it, could it be doable? Yes. I don't know if it gets much higher than that though, but this is to illustrate that eventually, um, you know, the, the, the scoring will dry up to a certain extent. They might need their power play more to help them out because their their five on five scoring has been you know particular particularly uh, impressive to this point in the season. In terms of what will be sustainable, though, I really like the way they played in the neutral zone, and I know this is something that Rick Tockett has hammered home time and time again. But even in the games that they haven't played that well, maybe with the exception of that Philadelphia game, it's been much harder for teams to generate off the rush or create odd man rushes, and it feels like we saw you know half a dozen odd man rushes a game at least uh, at times last season. So 
that's what I'm encouraged by is the fact that they're not giving up as much off the rush in particular. And I think because that has been relatively consistent, even in the games where they haven't played as well, they haven't been giving up their offense, at least to, to my eye, you'll probably have some uh, underlying number that disproves what I'm saying, Trance, as you always <laughs> do. Um, no, but, I agree. But that, that's what I feel is, is the, the, the rush offense against hasn't been there. And because they've done that consistently, I think that might be sustainable, which will help them if the scoring dries up at some point, because then, you know, it's not a situation like last year where if you didn't score four or five goals, you weren't going to have a chance to win the game they now have that structure in place that will allow them to win a game two to one or three to two. If they have to, if, if they're not getting offense from uh, the players that they normally get it. And not to say, I don't think they will because their top players have produced tremendously to this point in the season, but it's a long year and you're going to go through ebbs and flows. And I think, um, you know, through this first uh, handful of games here, the offense or the rate at which they're scoring is probably not sustainable over the long term. I'm going to up the ante on the jinx train. Ready? Okay, let's go. In eight career games, Thatcher Demko has a 9-2-3 save percentage against San Jose. 8-0-0 record. Not only has he never lost, he's never um, he's never had the OT at loss. Um, do you think that plays a role in, in them going to Demko tonight, uh, even, even if – you know, on paper anyway, it would seem like a, a decent spot to spot start to Smith. Do, do, do you need to extend that record, that perfect unbeaten um, record for Demko in his home state against the Sharks? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, to me, the the decision making might just be that Casey DeSmith is apparently their Saturday goaltender because mm. he played uh, three straight Saturdays. So I, I wonder if Demko uh, came to them and said, yeah, I want weekends off from now on. So that's... Uh, that's why they've managed the goaltending that way. But I, I mean, I, I think. I, I think Just like you, Drance, take weekends off. The weekday warrior. Yeah. I love that. I think yeah, that's a great exactly. way to be. Yeah. Uh, obviously, my, my tongue is firmly planted in my cheek. Well, I don't know. We'll find but, out on Saturday. Maybe there's something to yeah, it. Maybe, maybe there is. I, I guess we'll see. Um, but <laughs> there's no I, I guess there's this is a game that everybody would have expected Casey DeSmith to start just because of the opponent. And the fact that they've, you know, shown no hesitation to get DeSmith into games where they haven't needed to, uh, to this point in the season. But at the same time, Thatcher Demko is still your starting goaltender. You still want to give him the opportunity to play the bulk of the starts. And it wouldn't surprise me with a very busy month coming up uh, here in November. I think it's 15 games in the month of November, and they've got at least a couple of three and fours you already know Casey DeSmith is going to get some action this month so do you need to try and, and get him in again or would you rather get Demko playing well feeling confident and get on a bit of a roll especially when you're not into a situation where you're dealing with back-to-backs yet so I, I almost expect that we will probably see Demko tonight and could very well see him again on Saturday back home against the Dallas Stars as well. All right, Batch, I'm going to I'm gonna put you on the spot here. We're nine games in, which means it's uh, the perfect opportunity to start talking about Canucks winning major awards at the end uh, <laughs> of the year. So I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to ask you to rank them or, or tier them or anything, but just pick one most likely to happen at the end of the year. I'll give you the options, okay? Demko for the Vesna, Hughes for the Norris, Patterson for the Hart, Tockett for the Jack Adams. Most likely to happen at the end of the year. Tockett for the Jack Adams. Because I, you know, I don't think 
we'll see Pedersen in the heart conversation. Hughes probably, you know, will be in the Norris conversation to what degree, I guess we'll see. It'll be, you know, dependent on his consistency going forward. But, but to me, the bar for Rick Tockett being legitimately in the Jack Adams conversation and potentially win it, winning it is this team getting to the playoffs, mm. which to me, um, based on the way they've started, is a lower bar than than any of those other individual awards. And um, so, you know, the, the Jack Adams also, as we've seen in years past, and, you know, it's, it's voted on by the NHL broadcasters, so I am a, a voting member for the Jack Adams Award. We've traditionally seen that award go to the head coach that achieves more than everybody expected with the group that he has. Uh, so it's, it's not often, um, you know, the guy that, that has the – the team with the best record in the NHL. Um, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, John Cooper hasn't actually won the Jack Adams. I believe yet, that's correct. He is amazing. Yeah. Um, so he's going to win it. For I look Sentinel at that one is, is, is <laughs> it, there's a narrative there for talk it that, um, that, you know, there's a story behind this group, just how dreadful they were last year. You know, how they improved under him last year, how they've continued to improve under him this year. If he can get them into the playoffs, uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's a finalist and could very well win the award just because of how dysfunctional everything was last year around this team and how poor they were for extended stretches. To go from that team to a playoff team uh, with basically the same core intact and just tweaking around the edges and changing the head coach, that to me is an easy narrative that could see Rick Tockett win the Jack Adams. How do we get, like the Jack Adams to be most outstanding coach as opposed to coach who overperformed relative to preseason expectations. Is it, it, do you see that as an issue with the award of, of any kind? Well, no, I don't. And it's because like the way I think about it and, and sort of my thought process that goes into it is if it's the coach of the year, it's the, the guy that had to do the most coaching or did the most impressive coaching job. And mm. if you have a really good team, you know, yes, you still have to be, have a good coach to make a good team a great team. But, you know, I, I think it's oftentimes more impressive when when a coach takes a team that nobody expected anything of and, you know, squeezes every last drop out of them to get them to a level that you weren't expecting, as opposed to a team that everybody thought was going to be good. And guess what? They were really good. Now, you know, as I said, I think John Cooper deserves to win that award. I think he should have won it by now, and, and hopefully he does win it in the, the coming seasons at some point. Uh, maybe it'll have to wait until the Lightning are sort of on their, their downward trajectory, uh, but have a, a year that was better than people expected for uh, for him to to get a legitimate look at that. But um, but oftentimes, like you know, uh, coaching in, in the NHL is is not easy whether you've got a good team or a bad team. Mm. But it's especially difficult when you've got a team that struggled or a team that you know hasn't had good seasons in recent years that has players that might be low on confidence, has had lots of roster turnover. And it's those sorts of coaches, to me anyway, that stand out for their, their you know, the, the way they coach and, and how they deserve to be in that conversation. Because uh, if you can take a group of guys that haven't achieved anything before or have shown 
that that at least to that point that they're not capable of success and get them to buy into something and have a lot of success and succeed and make the playoffs or go on a run or or have a tremendous regular season or whatever it might be I think that's definitely worthy of recognition and and I guess most of my colleagues around the league agree Batch thanks for doing this man enjoyed the game tonight uh, guaranteed win as we heard from you right you're on the record guaranteed win uh, no, for the Canucks No I did not say that I did not say that uh, by the way uh, I believe it's Kokkinen going in net tonight for San Jose Oh nice all right So the Canucks dodge Mackenzie Blackwood who is unbeaten in 5 against Vancouver with a 962 save percentage so take away from that what you will Woo there you go all right so uh, it's all coming up for the Canucks thanks Batch Thank you that is Brendan Batchelor. I also hadn't realized that the San Jose Sharks, dating back to last year, had lost 15 in a row. Yeah. Whew. It's not good. Oh. Uh, people are texting in um, that they're going to reverse jinx it. So the real Nate from Comox, he signed his name. He says, don't worry, Canucks. I'm going to throw some money down on the Sharks to reverse jinx it. I'd rather lose 50 bucks than have the Canucks take the L tonight. I'll post on Twitter and tag you guys. I don't know if it's the same person or another concerned listener, but uh, somebody did tag me on tag us on Twitter showing their ticket. They've placed the bet down on the Sharks. They've taken the $50 bullet to use their bad gambling luck to ensure that the Canucks get the win tonight. Yeah. So there you go. I like that. I'm, I I appreciate that. Basically, Pascal's wager. Yes. Right? I mean, yeah. a, a at variation le- At least if there's an embarrassing loss tonight, you can enjoy like a nice dinner out or something after, <laughs> afterwards if maybe, you're Nate from Kovacs. Maybe the hockey version's uh, Pascal Dupuis wager. That's that's what it is. Sure. Yeah, when you bet against uh, your own team so that you get a financial reward should you be disappointed. I also like this from Tyler. This just in. Brendan Batchelor thinks Demko can't handle the pressure of playing on Saturday. <laughs> I actually love the idea of a five-day work week for a goalie. For a goalie? Well, just like, I mean, guaranteed you have Saturday and Sunday off. I mean, predictable days off matter, you know, mentally, right? I, I mean, I think there's a real argument for – like having a goalie actually get the night off as opposed to wearing a ball cap and sitting mm. on the bench. Um, just because mentally, like if you're at work, whether you're doing the same responsibilities or not, you're still doing it. But, uh, but you're also still warming up, you're still doing all that stuff. Right. But yeah. also in a world where you want to split games, what? 70, 30, roughly, right. The 70, 30% split of, of an 82 game season results in just under 60 games. Like five days on five, two days off is literally that. Literally gets you to the same place. So I don't hate it as an approach. Honestly. I love it. It's fantastic. If, if that's what they were doing, I'd commend them. We got to get a goalie coach on at some point and hash this out. How it would work? Would it work? Wow. Would you consider it? I mean, we'll know. If, if uh, legitimately, if Demko is not the starter on Saturday, Rick Tockett has to be asked. All right. So you're getting weekends off. There you go. Uh, I love it. Um, that's going to do it for us. Canucks and the Sharks, 730 here on Sportsnet 650. We're back tomorrow to break it all down. Uh, Thanks for listening. Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650.